Welcome back to another episode of Insects for Fun, where we talk about all things six-legged. I'm your host, Mitchell Logan, and today we'll be talking about a popular summertime flyer. The firefly, also commonly referred to as a lightning bug, is actually not a true bug at all in the world of entomology. These insects go through complete metamorphosis, which means they do in fact have a larval stage. Now you might be wondering if the larvae of these really cool insects also glow, and the answer is yes. Larvae of fireflies are sometimes referred to as glowworms because of their ability to produce light. In fact, all firefly larvae can do this, which is really interesting because not all the adults can. In some species, even the eggs have the ability to glow faintly if disturbed. There are about 2,000 species of fireflies worldwide, with 150 or so residing in North America. There may be a lot of different species, but most all seem to enjoy standing water which is why you can find them more easily near ponds, streams, lakes, and other bodies of fresh water. In midsummer, you can find them flying around searching for a mate using their abdomens as a signal lamp. This kind of lighting is called bioluminescence and is found in many different animals around the world. Fireflies create this light by combining a chemical known as luciferin and luciferase enzymes with oxygen, in special organs of course, most species of fireflies send Morse code messages through the flashing of their lights, and each species has a unique code for finding a mate. This is how they can tell each other apart at night, because there are certain times when more than one species will be active. However, not all species of fireflies are nocturnal. In fact, some are active during the day, and these of course don't use any light at all. What's the point if they won't be seen? Back in my home state of Vermont, I would commonly find one species referred to as a winter firefly during the day in my backyard. These ones are slightly less colorful than the nocturnal species, but have a unique ability to withstand sub-freezing temperatures as adults. During the fall, these winter fireflies will burrow into grooves of trees and enter a state of sleep called diapause. This lasts until springtime, when the weather gets warm enough for them to once again get active. The nocturnal or nighttime variety hibernate as a larva by burrowing into the ground or deeper in a tree. It takes some species two whole winters before they're ready to molt into an adult. That's a long time to be crawling around searching for food. Now, fortunately, I was able to get in touch with someone who actually does research on fireflies, and she is specifically working with the winter fireflies right now, known as Photinus coruscus. In fact, she just discovered the first ever known pheromone used with fireflies, and I'm going to play you the audio from our conversation now. All right. Thank you so much. Um, I'm Dr. Sarah Lauer. I have been studying fireflies since 2010. So oh, racking nice. up okay. the years. Yeah, you got all... <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> nice. I grew up on the West Coast where we don't have fashion, uh, flashing fireflies. And so you could imagine uh, coming over to the East Coast um, and getting to yeah. grad school. And um, I was down at the University of Georgia and fireflies all over the place. So it was quite a firefly wonderland. <laughs> 
Yeah, I love them. They're just, they're so nice to look at, especially like, I don't know, for me, they're just a symbol that warmer weather is finally here. Um, and then it's also just really sweet to see them flying around, right? It's it's like you're getting, it, it's, what is it? It's kind of like you're, you're seeing stars, right? You're, you have lots of green stars kind of flying around. It gives it kind of like a nice space atmosphere, but it's also just really calming I feel like to see that kind of stuff when I'm out with my students in the field we have this fun game that we play called is it a star is it a firefly is it Uh, a satellite (laughs) is it a firefly is it a plane is it a firefly because of all the blinking lights that are out and about these days yeah yeah (laughs) oh god yeah it's it's absolutely true I'm very fortunate right now at least I am in a very kind of boons part of Japan. Um, so there's really not a lot of light pollution at all over here. Uh, some of my buddies, um, they're like, well, is this what it look, is this what stars look like? And I'm like, yeah, dude, you've never seen stars before. No, I grew up in Houston. Oh God. (laughs) So I growing up out in California, I had never seen the Milky way until I moved out to the East coast. And, um, uh, we moved to Ithaca for my postdoc. I was a postdoc at Cornell uh, and okay. we okay. were yep. living out in yep. the boonies around Ithaca and it was <laughs> yeah, gorgeous. Over there. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Um, so, so yeah, so you have fireflies on the West coast, but you said they weren't blinking fireflies. Um, would those be the winter fireflies? So there are, um, Several different, so winter fireflies actually describes uh, Photinus carescus, um, which is a species complex, we think, of, of unlighted fireflies that lives sort of mm-hmm. like Mexico up to Canada, um, but doesn't, like that, that range is, is about as far as it gets. It's, it's pretty ri- wide ranging for a North American firefly. Um, there are yeah, other yeah. species of that genus out on um, the West Coast that also are day active and they don't light up as adults. Um, So similar, um, but not necessarily the Photinus carescus. Okay, cool. Yeah, because I've always, um, growing up in Vermont, uh, that's where I was actually raised, um, I would see a lot of the winter fireflies during the summertime. We have a lot of them up there and I would always see them around late spring to early summer. And when I was younger, I was like, okay, this looks like a firefly, but it doesn't light up and the abdomen doesn't have right like that yellowy green color so I was always kind of confused like is it not a firefly is it a firefly (laughs) like what's happening here so one of the Um, key traits of fireflies is that even if they don't light up as an adult all fireflies light up in the larval stage so as a as a larva that firefly that you found was glowing um, from two paired what we call lanterns uh, on the abdomen okay, or, you know, on the, on awesome. the, on yeah. the tail end segments of this larva. Um, but as an adult, uh, no lantern. They've done some really cool studies where they have sort of lasered off the lanterns of larvae and then allowed the uh... larva to undergo pupation. And the, the adult pops out just fine. Like, 
big lantern. <laughs> no, no worries. Oh yeah. All right. So, yeah. so they're not necessarily the same structure in larva and adult. Right. And I've also um, seen as well that the eggs, right? The eggs of fireflies can also light up. And I, is that true for all species or is that only a subset of species that have eggs that can light up? I tried doing a lot of research myself and it was pretty difficult so this thing to figure out. <laughs> this is another point that I come to with my student quite frequently when I go, you know, I'm not sure. We've looked in, you know, a handful of species, you know, we being the scientific right? so community. Yeah. community. Yeah. Um, but we haven't looked in all of them. <laughs> um, and frankly, you know, I don't know the answer, but I don't think anybody knows the answer to that. I don't think anybody knows the answer to it either, but I, I think it's interesting that we do know the answer that all larvae can light up, but the eggs we just we have we just don't know. And I wasn't sure if maybe you had any insight into that that I don't. But yeah, I mean, so all of the papers that I know of that have looked at egg luminescence suggest that they mm -hmm. are luminescent when they are laid. But again. Mm. Um, right. How can we prove that? For like, all species. There's so many species. Yeah, exactly. There's so many species. So going back to the whole fireflies being able to light up, this uh, I mentioned earlier is about uh, mating, right? So they use these Morse codes to kind of attract other fireflies, but winter fireflies they don't do this, right? They don't, they don't light up at all. And they don't have that special Morse code way of communicating to other mates. So, and this is something that you've been focusing on recently. You have a paper coming out very, very soon. Um, would you care to enlighten us about what's going on here with the winter fireflies? Sure. Yeah. So as you were talking about uh, these uh, firefly species that we're most familiar with, the ones that come out at night and are blinking, they're using light as a mating signal most of the time. Um, the flashes that we generally see are males that are emitting a species-specific flash pattern. And females mm. are kind of down in the vegetation. And when they see a flash pattern that they like, they'll actually reply to the male with a flash of their own. And so then the male will see that uh, and then um, you know, keep flashing at that female and they'll sort of go back and forth and back yeah. and forth until they find each other. Uh, winter fireflies and other day active species that have lost the ability to produce light don't have that mechanism, right? They, light is not useful in the daytime, right? As, as a yeah, signal. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there's no contrast right, yeah. there. Um, so we think uh, for, and for a very long time, it's been thought that they use some sort of volatile pheromone, so a, a gas that would be floating in the air. Um, and this, mm -hmm. this, uh, this compound um, would serve as the mating signal. So in this case, uh, we think that maybe a female sitting on a leaf would emit this pheromone, this perfume, uh, if you will. Mm -hmm. yeah. And it would sort of be carried yeah. by the wind and males would sense this pheromone with their antenna and sort of follow this plume of perfume back to where the female is. And that's how they find each yeah. other and mate. And there's been pretty good evidence from multiple species um, that there is a pheromone. Um, so you can like take a female, 
put her in a petri dish, put her out in the middle of a mm-hmm. field, and then wait and see what happens. And sure enough, you know, 10, 20, 30 yeah. minutes later, you get all these males sort of congregating around yeah. this dish. So she has to be emitting some sort of signal. Right, exactly. Um, yes. But but yes. nobody had ever measured a volatile pheromone from a right. firefly before. And so uh, just this past week <laughs> or a week or two, we um, were able to to get this paper out where we uh, it's, a, it's a very collaborative project between researchers at the University of California, Riverside uh, and Middlebury College and Bucknell. Um, and we worked together to identify the first volatile mating pheromone of any firefly. Yeah, that's crazy. That's that's super awesome. And so trying to, I don't know, like a pheromone to me has always been something that's intangible like how how can you how can you actually collect that how can you because we can't see it right we can't smell it it's just invisible thing to us um that only insects can pick up right with special organs so how did you do it like how how did this happen so how we did it well you're exactly right um this smell is not something that we can smell you know i can take a a vial of this chemical and give it a whiff and i don't smell anything yeah um yeah so we used very specialized equipment um we used gas chromatography mass spectrometry um to measure Mm. the different compounds that are coming off of male and female winter firefly um and then we also um our collaborators at University of California, Riverside, um, in the Miller lab, uh, were able to actually do simultaneous measurement of the different compounds that are emitted by a firefly, and then also hook that up to uh, an antenna that they had removed from a firefly that has been hooked up to electrodes. And so when you flow different chemical compounds over this antenna that's hooked up to electrodes, um, you get a nerve response to the compounds that the antenna is sensing. And so um, we were flowing the different chemicals that we had identified by the GCMS over that, and it responded, yeah. the male antenna responded to this one, this single compound that only females right. were emitting. And then, so for the males, um, were the males emitting anything in particular, or was it mostly just trying to use males to figure out what what was the green light signal what was the so we we measured both males and females and we found that only females were uh, emitting this particular compound both sexes are emitting all sorts of different chemicals insects are are real good at chemical communication and so i have (laughs) zero background in uh, in the chemical communication between insects the i i focused on a lot of um, ecological and conservation type things, um, specifically with like parasitoids. And I've done a lot of rearing with like coleoptera beetles and I have lots of Saturnids. I love Saturnids. I actually have, um, eggs to the Japanese oak silk moth in my fridge right now. Um, yeah, they're different. Usually Saturnids, um, they go through this stage of diapause as, uh, pupa so they kind of weave these silken cocoons and whatnot but this one um, goes through diapause as an egg and it's interesting because the moths they mate and do everything in fall 
And then that's it. So fall is their time to shine versus a lot of the other ones like summer is their their flight time. So yeah, this one's kind of weird. Yeah, in, um, in fireflies, we think of sort of overwintering and also getting to the heat of the summer is within the the larval stage of the firefly, except for winter fireflies. Yes. Winter fireflies right? are the yes. inverse of what you expect. Yes, uh, they, they, yeah, they're the complete opposite, yeah. which is really, really cool. Um, so instead of like your summer firefly that sort of comes out in the summer, mates, lays eggs, those eggs hatch out by the end of the summer, and then they spend one to two years as a larvae, um, sort of living yep. on and underneath the soil, and they overwinter yep. and get through the heat of the summer as a larva, and then back to emerge as adults in the summertime. Uh, these winter fireflies, they emerge as adults like uh, around here in Pennsylvania, um, about end of August, early September. And then they'll overwinter on the sides of trees as adults go through diapause. Um, and then in the yep. spring, mature their uh, testes and their ovaries, uh, mate, lay eggs. And then so so they're spending, well, so the summer species spend maybe like two to four weeks as an adult. Whereas these winter yeah. species, it can be up to like 10 months as in the adult stage. Yeah. That's super cool. And I remember um, I would see them uh, like just hanging out uh, in the bark, right? On the sides mm-hmm. of trees and crevices, and like crevices, that kind of thing. Um, which, yeah, it's just super cool to, to think about the insects that have this ability to just kind of withstand these really frigid temperatures, right? And, and they don't die. They kind of just, they have these compounds that kind of, help elastize their inner organs to make sure that the the freezing just doesn't make them explode kind of which is which is super crazy to think about yeah to my um, knowledge we don't know anything about firefly diapause and that would be awesome to look at um that would be yeah. something really interesting yeah because they must have some kind of antifreeze like glycerol i'm assuming something like that there must be something going on in there um because i know that tends to be the case for most insects that that can survive like freezing temperatures like woolly bear caterpillars for example all of that kind of stuff they they're all able to kind of produce this this chemical compound that just keeps them from exploding um so i feel like there's got to be something, right? Yeah. There's got to be something going on. Our co-author on the study, Greg Pask, who's at Middlebury College, um, has a, a population. He went out this past fall and found a tree stump. And then he looked under the tree stump and there were a bunch of adult winter fireflies sort of stuck to the bottom, huddled. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were still there. He went yeah. back and checked a couple weeks ago. They're still there. It was minus three or whatever. You know, it was Vermont. So yeah. it gets real cold. Yeah. yeah. They were just... Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's wild. Oh, it's so cool that they do that, though. So what about fireflies had you kind of gravitate towards researching them? Like, like why fireflies? Why fireflies? That's a really good question. So when I was first starting out in grad school, uh, I went to uh, UGA for my PhD, University of Georgia, um, and I was in the genetics department. Um, with a much more sort of evolution focus um, than mm-hmm. a molecular biology focus. Um, and um, that, <laughs> yeah. that particular program 
uh, that it came in through does rotations. So, right, you do six weeks in three different labs, um, and I could actually go do rotations in different departments and then pick uh, which lab I wanted to go into. And I, I rotated in a Drosophila research lab, a Monarch butterfly yep. research lab. <laughs> and oh, yeah, um, yeah. I also did this particular rotation where I did a literature review on fireflies. And um, I was just struck by the fact that, you know, we think we know them. We go out, they're pretty, they're cute. Um, and then you start reading about them and you're like, oh my goodness, there's so much more behind those signals than I thought there was. <laughs> and then yeah. you start asking questions. Well, why did they do this? And you know, what's the history of this? And how did, how did this behavior arise? And we just don't know a lot of that. And so I just got really fascinated by all of the variations they have and, and how that behavior has come to be. Um, my research right now um, focuses on two main questions. One is looking at um, how did chemical signaling evolve in fireflies, chemical versus light signaling. Yeah. Um, we've also done some work on the evolution of predation. So talking about those fireflies that mimic right. the signals of other species to lure males in and, and eat them. Fem fatales. Fatales. Yes. And then yes. Uh, the last research area in my lab right now is trying to look at fireflies. Um, we've had a really hard time rearing fireflies in the lab. Uh, we can get them to mate. Interesting. We can get them to lay eggs and get those eggs to hatch. Yeah. And then it is like a slow, agonizing decline of the larvae, um, at least of terrestrial species. Um, uh, aquatic species, yeah. um, especially uh, species from Asia, where having, the, the field is having much more uh, success with rearing. But here in North America, our North American terrestrial species are having a really hard time. And they seem to succumb to all these different types of infections, fungal infections, bacterial mm -hmm. infections, nematodes, yep. whatever. And so the other part yeah. of the research in my lab um, collaborates with a Drosophila um, immune system specialist. Um, and we're asking questions okay. about how do fireflies combat infection? Um, how do they yeah. do they have a good a good immune system relative right, to yeah. to what we know about another species yeah because I mean, with insects, it's very interesting. I mean, the the internal organs, uh, it's just a bunch of nerve bundles, right? Ganglion or ganglions that just kind of comprise the inside of an insect. But they do have an immune system, and they can heal. Um, and I've seen it before, actually rearing caterpillars some of them will get injured and you think oh man are they just going to be leaking fluids forever but no the wound heals up they got everything they need to to keep themselves but combating viruses um that's that's something i'm not sure i don't i don't know if i've ever seen an insect survive a viral infection mm -hmm. not to my knowledge yeah, we we just we're we're trying different things to try to keep our colonies um, like clean and free of infection, but yes. but we haven't had oh, much man. luck so far. Um, and so that's the that's the one thing that's been getting these terrestrial fireflies in the lab. Then is infections that kind of thing, or or is there something else that's causing the 
slow decline of you know it could be that they are missing a key part of their diet for many species we don't know what they eat like this is a fundamental thing that we don't know yes yes That's that's very true. I've I saw that a lot too, um, when I was doing a like a lot of reading up on fireflies. And one common thing seems to be that we just yeah, it's like what do, what do they actually eat? I mean, I know um, I when I would catch fireflies as a kid, I would sometimes house them, and I would end up feeding them like apples, pieces of fruit and stuff like that, and and they would. They would do that. Um, they would also cannibalize each other. Yep. Yeah, made that mistake uh, also. Have to watch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, there it's it's very interesting to figure out like what what makes them go. And so with the terrestrial fireflies, I know fireflies in general have a strong affinity to water. Um, with these terrestrial fireflies, do you have any insight into? What? Why do they love these moist environments? Why is it that we're always seeing them by rivers, streams, these sources of like really clean, fresh water? Mm-hmm. So when we bring fireflies out of nature, you as a kid with your mason jar or you know whoever with yeah. their mason jar or us as scientists bringing them from outside in, um, what we find is that they dry out really fast Mm, Um, they we have to house them with extra moisture in a high humidity incubator or else they just shrivel and so okay one one hypothesis that i have is that it's related to that um that they are sort of selecting habitats with these high humidity because they need that yeah i had no idea that they would dry out that fast i mean that's and i that's the other thing too is that um now that i'm thinking about it every time i've seen winter fireflies i haven't necessarily seen them actually near water sources the same way that i've seen these other ones um and i don't know if that was just coincidental or is is there a reason for that I'm trying to think about our populations here. Um, yeah, is there something you've noticed? Ours are all kind of kinda near near water. There's a lot of water in Pennsylvania. No, it's um, got it's got to just be that the area that I was in had a relatively high humidity, or or the soil had a good amount of moisture content. I don't know. It's like I'm just thinking like these winter fireflies are diurnal and they don't have lights. Maybe they also don't need water. I don't know. That's I mean, they're interesting beasts, right? They're totally the opposite of what you expect for a firefly in terms of, you know, 10 months as an adult. Maybe they have some adaptations yeah. that help that keep right. them from drying out in this winter air, right? That would right. that would make yeah. sense. Um we found that they do have quite a lot of um, in the compounds that we're measuring from the surfaces of these fireflies, um, mm-hmm. they, they do have like insects do, uh, cuticular hydrocarbons or CHCs. And these are, um, these are substances that are, they're, they're smelly, but they also are, are waxy and they serve as, um, a way to sort of keep the insect from drying out and then have been co-opted in many insect groups as a form of species recognition. So like um, when you see um, 
certain insects like tapping with antenna, tapping body parts. Sometimes, sometimes yeah. that is sensing the CHCs and looking at aspects uh, of, you know, species recognition, that kind of thing. Right. Wow. Okay. Um, is there anything that you want to talk about before we wrap up regarding like future work or where they can find your work, stuff like that? Is there any, is there anything you want to plug or anything you want to talk about? Um, so one thing that I will plug is, um, I'm part of the Fireflyers International Network or FIN. Um, and this is an organization, not just of scientists, but of, uh, naturalists, of educators, of artists, writers, um, folks who generally have an interest in fireflies and you, so anybody can join, right? Um, cool, yeah. and we're, we're trying to get together this network of people to bring more attention and learning and sharing of resources about fireflies. Uh, one of the, the things that we've really been concentrating on um, since the organization was founded is firefly conservation. Um, and so uh, you can head to the website, check out resources for firefly conservation. Um, how can you best serve fireflies? Um, one of the things that we really yeah. like that we think is important to talk about at least for the nocturnal species is light pollution, right? Mm -hmm. So yes, light pollution yeah, is a, a growing sure. problem, not just for fireflies, but for many no, yeah, uh, night active yep. organisms and for humans, right? We, we screw yep. up our, yep. our day night cycles with some of this <laughs> so extra yeah, light. Our, uh, melatonin windows yep. are getting all yeah and so um with fireflies it's particularly an issue for for species that come out really late at night um that need yeah. darkness um for their Absolutely. for signaling um and so there are several campaigns out and about to say hey you know what in the summertime during firefly season turn off your external light if you can mm. um Yes. When you're out looking for fireflies, nice. keep your lights off. Yeah. 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 I mean, honestly, and why why would you even want to have your lights on if you have fireflies around? Like that's that's all the light you need, right? <laughs> if you have a bright moon, you can see everything. <laughs> honestly, it's very true. Yeah. The the amount of stuff you can see with a bright moon. And like you said, light pollution is is a growing problem for a lot of uh, nocturnal insects. So, yeah. And, and there are sort of not as drastic solutions, right? They, they, you need light for safety, right? Um, people usually associate those two, two things. Um, mm, there, uh, okay, there might yep. be, sure. um, options like directing light downward instead of broadcasting it out. That would sort of yes. keep the yeah. light pollution more, uh, contained. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So, absolutely. so head to the to Finn website and check it out. There's also some information from the Xerces Society, uh, most known for their work with butterflies, <laughs> but um, they've they've really helped us out with uh, helped the firefly community out with developing cool. these resources on firefly conservation. No, all right. I'm I am all for conservation. Um, I. As mentioned before, that's kind of where my specialty is, along with, 
ecology related stuff, which is why all of the molecular as as soon as it, it once it gets to a certain size, I'm just like, what? I don't know what's happening. I can't see it. What, what is that? <laughs> it's out of my wheelhouse. So the cool thing about the smell <laughs> stuff, though, is that you can see the effect. Right. So we were out in the woods. Yes. You know, holding this. Uh, we put the pheromone in uh, a little rubber cup and then we put that little rubber cup inside a, a tea ball like you would use to make tea. Yeah. Um, and so you can go out in the woods and like dangle this thing out there and then fireflies flock all around. You're like the Disney princess, oh, yeah. except you're not singing. Oh, you're yeah. just perfuming <laughs> and all the fireflies are coming to you. It's, it's pretty amazing. I've had a similar thing happen to me um, specifically with polyphemus moths. Um, when I was raising those in Vermont, uh, it, I had a female and she was releasing her pheromone and the pheromone was getting everywhere. Right. So it was all over my clothes. It was, you know, all over me. And so I would have these giant male moths come flying in from all directions and they would be flying onto me and they would be trying to like, they'd be trying to figure out where the female is, but they're just crawling up and down me. Like, and I'm just, all right, clearly I got too close to the female for a certain amount of time. And I just, I have to get out of here. But the nice thing about Saturnians at least is if you got a male, you can literally just hold his wings and you can just, you can just pair them. It's really that easy. They're, they're super blind. So they kind of need help anyway. So smell is really important. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then um, when I was doing uh, some entomology field work in Massachusetts, um, one of the, uh, I think it was a PhD candidate, she was talking about how um, she was doing, she was working with a moth. Now, I don't remember specifically what the moth was, but she had essentially been working with pheromones. And what happened was she had spent too much time around this one specific pheromone to the point where when she was finished doing her work, she was just constantly getting swarmed by the male moths. And she was just an absolute magnet for these. And it's just because that's how potent this thing is that we can't see, we can't smell, but it's really that potent. Yeah. We, we're, we try to be really careful with, you know, how we're handling the pheromone and, and making sure we don't get it on anything. Um, there's one last thing that I would love your audience to know, which is yes. we need their help. So oh. um, we don't know a lot about firefly ranges, right? We don't, we don't know where they all occur. We don't know that much right. about, um, we'd like to know more about their seasonal emergence and when that happens and how can we predict that. And so I would love folks, if they're interested in helping us out um, to go Mm -hmm. onto the mass Audubon website and check out firefly watch. So sort of like, um, sort of like the Christmas bird count, but but we're fireflies and during the summer we have firefly watch (laughs) and we ask folks to participate, you know, to their degree of interest Um, just going out and looking at presence and absence of fireflies in their yard. Um, You could do it 
once a season. You could do it every night. Um, There's some instructions there if you want to help out a little bit more and do counts of abundance to help give us more data. Um, There's more information there. If you even want to get to like looking at the flash pattern and telling which species. Um, So so you can participate to your desire. Any level of... (laughs) And then that data goes into a huge database that we can then use to try to figure out, all right, yeah, what are the habitat predictors of fireflies? What sort of habitat requirements do Mm. they need? Um, When did they emerge? Is it changing due to climate change? Is how does it, is it affected by proximity to urban areas? Like we can ask all these different questions um, with this data set, but we, we can't do it just by ourselves. Uh, We need, we need help. So. No, I'm sure people would definitely be, be willing to do that. I mean, the nice thing is you can participate at, any level of firefly fandom yes you can get the hardcore <laughs> you can get the hardcore people you can get the people that are like oh i saw a firefly and i'm located in blah 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 exactly <laughs> man that's great awesome so yeah firefly watch check it out all right now we're back As mentioned in the conversation, many species of fireflies don't have a documented food source, and some don't eat anything at all. But there is one firefly which we barely touched on that I would like to share with you now. These ones are known as femme fatales. This literally translates to disastrous woman, and these characters are often portrayed in media as attractive or seductive women who take advantage of men once they get them into a compromising position. And this is exactly what happens with the fireflies in the genus Photyrus. The fireflies have evolved to catfish unsuspecting males in the genus Photinus by mimicking a variety of light morse codes. This of course means that the diurnal winter fireflies are safe. Anyway, once a male is in a compromising position, the female strikes and eats him alive. She not only gets nutrients from this, but also takes in toxins known as lucibufagans, and these are stored and used for her own young as self-defense. In general, the larvae of fireflies are also carnivorous, and the larvae can be found foraging for worms, slugs, snails, and other soft-bodied insects on leaves, the ground, or even in some cases, the water. Hopefully you enjoyed today's episode, and if you did, please consider rating and reviewing the podcast or sharing it with friends to help spread the love of bugs. Next week, I'll get into some cricket territory. And of course, if you have any recommendations, please send me an email at insectsfordummies at gmail.com. I'll see you next week.